may be seated. Hey, everybody, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal. Uh, wow, uh, it is beginning to look and sound a lot like Christmas around here. Amen? Isn't that exciting? Um, hope you enjoy as you came in this morning all the, uh, the lights and the decorations and the poinsettias and the, uh, the music. Uh, I, like Scott, I just love, um, love this time of year, love the excitement, love everything that goes uh, goes along with it. I uh, hope you enjoy our, uh, you know, we're kind of creating the idea of a, uh, you know, a stable on a starry night. And I want you to know we had some of the best contractors in Charleston create that stable and had a level and all that. Really did a great job. Um, uh, wow. Uh, you know, for the next several weeks, um, we are going to be in a series uh, entitled The Sounds of Christmas. The sounds of Christmas. In fact, when I say that, what I want you to do this morning is I just want you to get your little thinking cap on and maybe go back in time a little bit. And uh, what, what comes to mind? What sounds, you know, do you hear when you hear that phrase, the sounds of Christmas? You know, maybe, uh, maybe if you're a parent uh, or maybe you think about growing up, you can hear the, the sounds of, of feet uh, on Christmas morning, you know, waking up. And maybe if you have an upstairs and a downstairs, you can hear the kids rustling around and scampering down the, uh, down the stairs on Christmas morning. Uh, maybe you can hear, if you, if you really listen, you know, the sounds of crinkling uh, wrapping paper and all the melee as the gifts are being opened and exchanged on Christmas morning. And, and of course, over the next... Uh, Several weeks, I'm sure some of you, uh, you're going to hear the sounds of uh, conversation and friends and family uh, at a Christmas party or a Christmas dinner. Uh, my guess is that when you hear the phrase, the sounds of Christmas, you can't help but think about all of the great Christmas music, uh, the great Christmas hymns and songs. And how about that Christmas music this morning? Was that awesome today? That was awesome, wasn't it? Um, you know, as Will Ferrell said in one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, Elf, Elf, right? Amen. If you don't agree with that, just leave right now. Um, no, what did he say? He said, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is? Thank you. That was awesome. Very good. I was worried nobody in the first service would know that, but a few did. So, um, you know, for many years for me, um, it, it really didn't seem like Christmas around here and in our family until I heard uh, my wife Janet uh, sing Oh Holy Night. Uh, it was kind of a, a tradition here at Coastal uh, at our Christmas Eve candlelight service. She would sing, you know, some of you don't even know she actually, my wife Janet actually led worship for us for about 15 years here at Coastal and got a beautiful voice. And, and so that was one of the memories of, I always hear, uh, it, it comes to mind at Christmas time. Or maybe if you grew up at church, you remember, you know, the sounds of the, uh, the Christmas cantata or uh, the, the, the children's Christmas program. Those were always awesome. Um, I remember uh, when I was in the fourth grade, so I was like nine years old, uh, I could remember uh, going to Fort Johnson Baptist Church uh, on James Island, listening to my dad sing in the uh, adult Christmas cantata. My dad had a phenomenal tenor voice. I got no gifts from him passed down to me, but uh, I used to love to listen to him sing. And I can remember this particular Christmas like no other and all the sounds that are associated with it because it, I was sitting, I was in the uh, balcony at Fort Johnson Baptist Church, probably because I was misbehaving or something, but uh, listening to the cantata. And then afterwards, they had a, um, 
uh, reception, you know, in the fellowship hall. And, uh, well, during the, the cantata, uh, my stomach started hurting. And I mean, it hurt bad. And it wasn't just like, a, you know, I got a little tummy ache, you know. I mean, I, I was really in pain. And so um, I can remember going up to my dad. There were some other, you know, adults there, obviously a lot of people, uh, after, you know, the cantata and the reception, saying, Dad, um, you know, my stomach really hurts. And uh, with all the wisdom of, you know, a parent can say, basically, th these were the words that he told me. I'll never forget. He said, son, go to the bathroom. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, so, so, so I go to the bathroom and, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, nothing didn't help. You know, I'm like, I was just hurting. I was just, I mean, in fact, at this point, like I'm starting to cry a little bit because my stomach is hurting so bad. And so I go up to him again, like second time, no lie. And I was like, daddy, like that didn't help. My, my stomach really, really hurts. And then, you know, this is what he says. He goes, son, your pants are too tight. <laughs> and so... I'm like, okay, I know you're starting to feel bad for me, aren't you? All right. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, what am I supposed to do about that? You're like, what am I going to do my pants here at the church, you know? So anyway, later that night, my parents were awakened to noises and sounds that no one wants to hear at Christmas time. I mean, literally, I wake up screaming, writhing in pain. Uh, they, they, they rushed me to the doctor. Uh, to, to Roper emergency room, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, they're going to do a, uh, an emergency appendectomy. And uh, so, man, they felt guilty. So anyway, um, <laughs> but come to find out, this was so bad. Come to find out, because it was supposed to be kind of a, you know, whatever you know, appendectomies take, however long the surgery was, well, it was like double that time. And come to find out, my appendix had actually, I guess, and I, you know, again, I was nice, so I don't remember all the details, but it was like, it had like a slow rupture, or a slow leak, and I had actually developed gangrene in my stomach. And so I got like a, I got a scar like way down here with the appendix, and then I actually have another scar up here where they had to clean out all the gangrene. And they said that I would have died like in a day or so. And uh, so, I mean, like, talk about the guilt that I could just use that, that's, that Christmas for all my presents. But um, so really, that's where I spent all of my Christmas break was in the hospital, and I got out Christmas Eve. Uh, it was awesome. So, um, Anyway, but I want you to think this morning about all the different uh, uh, sounds that you associate with Christmas. And some of them, like me, might be a little bit strange. And, and I think some of the sounds, if you'll actually go back in time uh, 2,000 years ago, might be a little bit different than what, what you might first think. I mean, imagine, you know, the sounds of angels singing. I mean, we, we have songs like that. But what about, you know, people gossiping, you know, behind Mary's back? What about Joseph, you know, trying to explain to friends and family how he's really not the dad, even though she's pregnant, you know, it was a God thing, and, you know, and all that that went along with that. How about Herod and that whole side of the story, and just shouting and anger, and, and uh, then the hustle and bustle of maybe an overcrowded inn, or the quiet sounds of a, of a, a still silent uh, barn that Christmas night. You know, over the last, uh, over the next several weeks, we are in fact going to do that. We're going to hear and sing some wonderful, beautiful Christmas music. And what we're going to do in my message time is we're going to listen again to the original Christmas story. And uh, just like Jesus said, you know, he with ears, let him hear. And I pray today that you'll really listen and really hear. And it's my prayer that you'll open up your heart 
and open up your mind a little bit today, and maybe you'll hear it again in a new way, or maybe for the first time. And uh, it's our prayer that you're going to gain some new insight this month about how God still works in amazing ways in our lives today. Now, if you're at our house on Christmas morning, one of the sounds that you're going to hear every year, it's a tradition at our house before we do anything else, uh, yes, everybody comes down and we gather in the living room around the tree, uh, but we read the original Christmas story. Now, not the Red Rider BB gun Christmas story, the, the real, real Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. And as our kids got older, we would each take turns, you know, reading the story and, uh, and pray together. So this morning, uh, Michael read uh, some of the story today. I'm going to read the beginning of that, Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1. And I want you to imagine all the different sounds this morning as I read. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, the very first sounds that we hear there in this story in Luke 2, of course, is this announcement, right? You know, in those days, Caesar Augustus issues this decree, this, this kind of worldwide proclamation that goes out. But what I want you to notice, though, is that the timing of the birth of Jesus really seems very unexpected. In the sense that, you know, if we were, the, if we were in charge of the universe, you know, we, we definitely wouldn't have picked the time of Caesar Augustus for all this to take place. I mean, I, think about it. If we were in charge, I think, you know, maybe biblically we'd pick a time like right after King David died because, you know, when King David was in charge, he, the Jewish uh, people were kind of like the world's superpower. And so they've got wealth and momentum and power and influence. And, and, it, and it seemed kind of natural that right after David passes on, that the Messiah then would come and even raise to greater prominence and in their mind, you know, conquer the world. Um, or, you know, I think you could make an argument that uh, a time for the Messiah to come would have been like around uh, World War II, right? I mean, when, when uh, the world is, in, the entire world is in peril and people are desperate, desperate for leadership. Um, or I think we can make an argument that today, you know, at this time, might seem like the more appropriate time for the Messiah to come. I think you can make an argument that, you know, today with the internet and instant communication and the world being so desperate for hope and change and peace, that maybe today would be the day. Well, God's ways are not our ways. And you see that in the Christmas story. His timing, though, is perfect. 
It says in the days of Caesar Augustus. Well, what do we know about that time? Let me give you a little context here. Uh, 300 years before Caesar, of course, a man by the name of, we call Alexander the Great, uh, had conquered the world. And uh, basically Greek uh, was kind of a universal language. So when Jesus was born, it was one of those rare times when a majority of people could actually uh, communicate with one another. And then after Alexander the Great, we've got Rome conquering the world. And, and obviously to be a, a Jewish person would have been no picnic to be under Roman um, control or oppression. But Rome made it possible for uh, things like worldwide travel. And uh, visas were uh, very common, sometimes totally unnecessary for people to travel from country to country. And so it was one of those rare times in the history of the world where travel, especially missionary travel, for somebody like the Apostle Paul was very easy. Um, also at this time, uh, the Jews were dispersed. You know, because of uh, oppression, because of the poor economy in Palestine, there basically were these little pockets of Jewish people who believed there was one God and believed that he was going to send a Messiah who lived in little pockets all over the world. But there's one more little last detail that had to be arranged. Because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 700 years earlier, by the way, the prophet Micah had foretold that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born, but he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. Bethlehem is about 80 miles away. And in a day and time when there's no cars and everybody walked everywhere they went, if you had a little bit of money, maybe a donkey. If you had a lot of money, maybe a camel. Camels were kind of like Lexuses in, in that day, you know. Um, and, uh, but nobody would have, I mean, this is like a four-day journey, okay, and nobody, nowhere, I mean, besides all of that, Mary at this point is full term in her pregnancy. I mean, there is no way, no woman would ever want to take that kind of journey being in that kind of situation. But God even arranges that. Caesar uh, requires a census, and it forces Joseph uh, to go and register in the city of his family origin. So, Mary and Joseph, at exactly just the right time, have to take this trip, this journey, to Bethlehem. Now, think about those sounds. You know, let me ask the moms here today, okay? How many of you would have liked to have taken a four-day journey by foot or by donkey at just that time in your pregnancy? I mean, no way... No how, no sir, right? Now, if you're from Charleston, if you're a Charlestonian, or you know, you've been in Charleston for any length of time, you know the, the you know the old thing that you know if you're waiting for the baby to be born, you're kind of you know wanting to help things along the way. You go downtown and travel down what roads? Right, the cobblestone roads, right? You go over that little you know bumpy, you know, and really they're only about fifty yards or so. But could you imagine taking like multiply that times four days? And uh, because that's really what desert country was like in that day, not like just sand. I mean, they, they must have felt every rock, every bump, every stick. And, and so Mary is taking this four-day rugged journey. And while they were there, the, the Bible says the time came for the baby to be born, exactly as God had planned. Now, when I read that, when I, when I read the Christmas story, you know what it, what it makes me wonder? 
it makes me wonder about how often all of the events of our lives are synchronized by God. And I think about God's sovereignty and how he has this amazing way of weaving the right people into our lives at the right time for the right reasons and arranging things so perfectly. You know, Proverbs 3, 6, some of you maybe have, have quoted that before. It basically says that if we acknowledge him, he will what? He will direct our paths. And I think about how often our paths cross with just the right people at exactly the right moment so God can sovereignly accomplish his will. For example, you're not here by accident today. You know, do you really think that? That you just happen to get maybe a, a card in the mail. You just happen to have that friend who happens to work with you or live near you who invited you and told you about what a difference Jesus or the church could make in your life. And they invited you to come and you came. You know, do, do you think you just happen to find us on the internet? I don't see events happening that way. Not in scripture. Our God has this amazing way to synchronize events and people to accomplish his sovereign will. Now I want you to imagine all of the sounds in Bethlehem during that time and maybe even that night. Now if the timing of the birth of Jesus was unexpected from our perspective, uh, the actual place of his birth, Bethlehem, was definitely unassuming, okay? Unassuming. I mean, again, if we were in charge, no way, no how would we ever pick the town of Bethlehem for the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King of Kings. I mean, we would have, I mean, there have been so many other towns and cities we would have picked. Maybe Alexandria, Athens, Rome, I mean, at least not Jerusalem. And yet God chooses, basically, listen to me, this little hick town. Of Bethlehem. I mean, like Monk's Corner. Okay, no, no, even, even smaller, I'm sorry. Even smaller than Monk's Corner. Maybe like Macedonia. I mean, even further out. Okay, I mean, just this country little hick town. In fact, in mo most scholars say that Bethlehem, and I've been to Bethlehem. Now, today, it's a city of like, you know, 10 to 15,000 people. In that day, scholars say it's like two to 400 people. And so the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, I mean, that's not an exaggeration. Now, not only though was Jesus born in Bethlehem, and I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, he was also born in a stable. Because, you know, the story there was what? No room for him in the inn. You've seen the Christmas story. You've seen the performance, right? You know, and, and I bet Joseph had to be near panic. You know, trying to find a place for, for his family. And, and out of desperation, he basically finds uh, a barn, stable. Now, for the most part, we are way too good to stay in cheap motels, aren't we? I mean, let's be honest. Today, you're planning a trip. How many of you, you know, get on TripAdvisor or you, you know, you look for all the good reviews and you want a good deal, but you want the best deal and the best place you can stay. It's my guess not many people in this room this morning have stayed down at the Evergreen Motel, okay? I mean, let's just be honest. In fact, now, you know, I'll even go a step further, step up and go, not many of you stayed in Motel 6. Now, some of you, I think Sean did stay there one time. Anyway, okay, 
But some of you, maybe when your relatives come, you stick them there. So maybe they'll leave quicker. But um, other than that, you know, we're too good to stay in places like that. And yet the Son of God was not too good or too proud to stay in a barn. And not only was he born in a stable, the Bible, we, we dress this up, by the way, and it sounds really sweet, but the Bible says she wrapped him in cloths and, and, and placed him in a manger. Okay, really what that means is she wrapped him in rags and put him in a feeding trough. You know, I mean, I mean you would not, we would not even know what the word manger was if not for this story that it was used in the birth of Jesus. And we make it sound like this little precious moment scene or something, and yet... It's a feeding trough. I mean, here's God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And yet he's not too proud to make one of their feeding troughs his first bed. Now, I did not grow up uh, on a farm. Anybody here grow up on a farm, by the way? Okay, we've got a few people. Now, I've not been raised on a, on a farm, but I've been told about barns from people who have been raised on a farm who have them. Number one, a barn is almost always a stinky place. Okay, it smells. A lot of smells there. It's hard to keep up with. It's not always a clean place. For the most part, it stinks. Number two, when you have animals in your barn and you're by yourself, for the most part, at night, it is a quiet place. Now, in comparison to what I'm going to describe to you, okay, in other words, for the most part, it is a still place. Animals don't make a lot of noise at night. And so here's Mary and Joseph. They go into the barn, and quite, you know, quite possibly that night it was a silent night, a holy night. Now, we would have never selected a stable, but I think even that shows the wisdom of God. You know, when the innkeeper turned Mary and Joseph away, it reveals the plan of God. You know, maybe this allowed them to, uh, for the baby to be born in the quietness of a stable because hotels were in that day were not the way we think of them today. Okay, they weren't like, you know, quiet, private rooms. You go into the lobby and, you know, get your key and then walk quietly around to wherever your room is. No, 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 no. They were more like wild bunkhouses, okay, for the most part, especially in a little hick town like this. It would have been, how many people can we possibly jam together in one area? Uh, it would have been, you would have heard wild and crazy noises throughout the night, things like the butchering of animals, drinking, fighting, partying. It was absolutely not the place for a baby to be born. But the Son of Man being born in a barn I think is a demonstration of God's power and God's strength. And we have a lot of babies that are seem that are being born right now here at Coastal, a lot of people who are expecting. Um, do you know why I think we want the best doctor and the, the best hospital? I mean, we how many I mean we even make trips to visit all of the uh, the birthing, what are they called? The birthing suites, right? You know, and we visit all the hospitals to find the best one. Why? Why do we want all that? Why do we need all that? You know why? Because we're weak. We're vulnerable. I mean, we, we realize that we, man, if our child's coming into this life, you know, we want the very best and the, and, and the brightest and the smartest, and we want everything. And yet God doesn't need that, does he? Because he's in charge, and he is the author of life. 
In fact, I think that's one of the things that it shows is that the fact that Jesus was born in a barn shows us ultimately that his ways are not our ways. That he actually chooses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. I mean, there are examples of that all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, God chose two childless senior citizens, Abraham and Sarah, through which he was going to bring an entire people. You know, he used the tiny tears and the cries of a baby named Moses to pull at the heartstrings of Pharaoh's daughter so that Israel could eventually have a mighty leader through which they would be set free from bondage. Think about little David. He used what? A small stone to bring down a giant. And to propel him into, into the king. You know, he, he used a small skimpy lunch of a boy at, to feed over 5,000 people on the hillside near the Sea of Galilee. He used an old Roman wooden cross to provide a way for our sins to be forgiven. And then he used a bunch of untrained, unschooled, everyday fishermen to turn this world upside down. Here's my point. There's no question in my mind that God still uses the Bethlehems of our day. In fact, he delights in it. In other words, he still uses little towns and little people to do big things in big ways. Listen, I don't care who you are, what your background is, what sin you might think you've committed. You know, our God still wants to use you. you there, there is no one that is too small or too insignificant or too ordinary to be used in a mighty way for God and His glory. Listen, God loves you and He's got a plan for your life. He delights in using the Bethlehems of this world. Another thing I want you to notice about the birth of Jesus itself is that really the event itself was pretty uneventful as, you know, at least in the eyes of the world. In fact, I, I love the way the Bible puts it so simply stated. It says, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth. Now, moms, dads, how many of you remember those sounds? That night, that day, that early morning, the time came for your baby to be born and she gave birth. Honestly, the way the Bible describes it there, it, it sounds so ordinary. In fact, that exact same phrase could be used to describe any birth of anyone, anywhere, all throughout history. The time came for the mother to give birth, and she did. There you go. Now again, if we were in charge, I mean, we'd have a lot more fanfare than that. We would, wouldn't we? I mean, I know we would because of what you see today. Because when most people have babies today, I mean, we call everybody we know. You know, we wait for just that right time to reveal it on Facebook. And then we have, like, reveal parties for, like, the, you know, the, the uh, whether, you know, the, whether it be a boy or a girl. I mean, could you imagine if Mary had a reveal party, you know? And, well, an angel told me. He didn't go to a doctor, you know. But an angel said it's going to be, you know, a, a son named Jesus. Um, you know, some of you have, like, all your friends over and all your family or you have a big party or like even when the baby's born some of you have them in the delivery room right or you know some of you maybe go the other way and it's just you and you know your husband or whatnot um some of you anybody videotape the event anybody have it on videotape can we see that later during christmas no, anyway um 
You know, or what about this one? How about, could you imagine Mary if she had like a monthly belly selfie? You know, this is one month, two months, three months, you know. But, but, but it didn't happen that way. Now, again, if we were in charge, think about it. If we were in charge of the birth of the king of the universe, I mean, there, there, there would have to be a TV special, right? You know, maybe like a musical or something, and maybe Pitbull is in charge. You know, he's emceeing it, and, and I bet there'd be some bands, right? One Direction be singing about, you know, the birth of Jesus, or Taylor Swift would write a breakup song about Jesus or something. And, um, but there'd be fireworks, there'd be reporters, be all this fanfare. But the Bible says the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth. Now, there's a bunch of things, principles there for us this morning. I hope you've picked up on, on several already. But there's one kind of overarching lesson that I want you to take home with you this week. And it's this. Our God usually does dramatic things in undramatic ways. And if we're not alert, we miss it. Write that down. Our God usually does dramatic things in undramatic ways. And if we're not alert, we miss it. Again, an ordinary child, it appeared in an ordinary way, in an ordinary place. And yes, the most important event in history. And I think a lot of times we miss the miracles of life. We miss what God is doing. We miss the ways in which God is working because we, we, we're so focused on the dramatic. We love the spectacular. We love the dramatic. And if we were in charge, I think we'd want to get attention. And we'd want to do it dramatically. But God, I mean, listen, I believe in miracles. I believe God does dramatic miracles. But I also believe that we miss a lot of the everyday miracles because we're expecting dramatic things. And God does dramatic things, but he does it so often in undramatic ways. And we just miss it. Because we're not looking. I mean, in fact, think about it. The only people who, who found Jesus and who saw Jesus that very first Christmas were the people who were seeking him. The people who were looking for him. And very little has changed. You know, I know people today who will pray to God. I mean, they'll just beg God to help them with their finances. You know, and then pray for a miracle. Pray for a miracle. And then they're disappointed when they don't get like a $1,000 check in the mail, you know, return address, heaven or something. And, and yet it comes. But what if it comes after hard work and persistence and a budget and time? And they don't think it's of God. I know people who will pray that God will show them the person that they are to marry. And if the skies don't open up and they don't hear the angels of God singing their name, that person's name in an audible voice, then they're, they're disappointed. I know people who will pray for a friend or a family member to, to come to know Jesus. And in their minds, they imagine that it's got to be done in this you know, very dramatic way where they come forward in some revival service or a camp meeting and they, they go to the altar and they beg for forgiveness and then there's this immediate reversal of life and they go on to the mission field. And if it doesn't happen that way, you know, instead maybe they come to church over time and slowly it begins to make sense and slowly their life begins to change a little bit and then one day maybe even the quietness of 
of their car or their bedroom. They give their life to Jesus and they begin to grow and they still make some mistakes along the way. I know people who will judge them and don't think that's of God. I know Christians who want God to be so dramatic in their life. They're always praying for the supernatural event, the supernatural spiritual experience. And then, hey, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with supernatural spiritual experiences. And then maybe one day they have one, but then the rest of their lives, they're always looking backwards toward that one event, trying to reproduce it, trying to experience it again, and then judging other people if they don't have the same experience. God does dramatic things. And sometimes he does do it in very dramatic ways. But I think, for the most part, that's the exception. I think God still does miracles. But sometimes he does it in very undramatic ways. And we miss it. Because we're not looking. You know, one of the most dramatic uh, miracles in the Old Testament, remembers the story of Elijah. We preached through this about a year or so ago, a couple years ago. And I uh, remember the story Elijah is just... Uh, kind of, you know, defeated the prophets of Baal and called down fire from heaven and, and uh, you know, burned up the altar, destroyed the false prophets. And it's very dramatic and very miraculous. But then things don't turn out exactly the way Elijah wanted them to, remember, because there's still the evil Jezebel. And so he turns tail and runs and he hides in a cave and he's upset because it didn't go the way he wanted. And now he's being hunted and he's afraid of Jezebel. And then all of a sudden the Bible says, that this violent wind appears outside the cave. But God's not in the wind. And then there's this big, terrible fire. And Elijah discovers God's not in the fire. And then this thundering earthquake. And surely God's got to be there and God's going to speak to him. But God's not in the earthquake. And the Bible says that God speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice. Why? Why does God do dramatic things and oftentimes undramatic ways? Let me give you a couple of reasons before we close this morning. One is, I think, one reason I think Christianity is meant to be a continuous discovery and not a one-time instantaneous experience. You know, it's a continuous discovery. It's meant to be that way. God doesn't reveal everything to us at once or life would be boring. I mean, Christianity would always be this past experience and not a continuous journey. If everything were revealed to you up front in one time, you know, it, it, would, it would lose some of its, its uh, mystery, some of its excitement. You know, raise your hand this morning if, if um, you're basically in that heathen group who has opened your Christmas presents before Christmas and looked at them. Okay, I'm not the only one, right? Somebody, come on, raise your hand. Okay, thank you. I don't, one time, seriously, this is no joke, I, um, I actually got like the sharpest knife that I could find, and very meticulously, I, like I had cut like all the tape and everything, and I opened up my Christmas presents, and then I retaped them, put them all back, and then on Christmas morning, I'm opening my Christmas presents, and, and lo and behold, there's this knife that is in one of the boxes. I'm like, oh, no, that's the knife, you know, like, that, you know. Anyway, but what I discovered, and I'm sure what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make is that if you know in advance everything, you know, it, it really loses some of its excitement and mystery and, and luster. And, and so Christianity is that way. God doesn't 
reveal everything to us dramatically or there's no anticipation, there's no discovery, there's no challenge. You know, that. by the way, that's why reading the Word of God, the Bible, is so exciting because it, every time you read it, there's something new. There's a new discovery. There's something yet. It's like a new gift that you get to open every single day. By the way, no, many, no matter how many times you've read it before, there's something new. Which, by the way, and I want to share this with you this morning, one of the things that we're going to uh, we're challenging, encouraging you to do uh, in 2015 is to join uh, me in something I'm going to do this year. And, uh, you know, I've been a, a follower of Jesus for um, like over 30 years now. And at different points in my life, um, I decided to read through the Bible that year. You know, just something, you know, one, you know, anything anybody made me, to, made me do, but it was just one of those things, you know, in my, my journey that, uh, you know, like when I was in high school, when I was in college, when we were first starting the church, then over time, you know, being a pastor. And uh, for whatever reason, I really feel like God's leading me. Uh, it's been several years since I've done that uh, to do it this year, 2015. And I shared that with our staff, and uh, we're going to do it together. And uh, we decided that, hey, why not encourage our church to do it. We'll do it together. Anybody wants to join us, you can. In fact, that's what, if you've noticed in the Welcome Center, we got all these uh, one-year Bibles out there. Uh, we, uh, they're for sale for 10 bucks, less than what we paid for them, but we want to make it available to our church. And uh, they're, you know, every day, uh, you'll start January 1st, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and a Proverb. And then you read through the Bible that year. We're going to do it together. We're going to create like a little group on version and if you'd like to join us, we'd love for you to do that. Um, and what I think you'll discover is, you know, and especially today, there's such a, uh, a Bible illiteracy today. I mean, we tell people that this is our roadmap for living, and we don't even know, you know, where the map takes us. You know, we, we, we say that we stand on the promises of God, and we don't even know what the promises are. And it's all there in God's Word. And so I just feel like 2015 ought to be a year where we dig into God's Word together. So if you'd like to join us, we'd love to do that. Um, I think we learn better, by the way, when we have to discover something on our own. You know, like if you, if you give your child a puzzle for Christmas, and you're always there, and you're always putting it together, and you're always interrupting and having to, you know, do it for them, they don't really learn as much. But if you allow that child to discover it on their own and struggle on their own, they learn so much more. And I think God wants us to learn. And life is more exciting and more instructive when we have to discover for ourselves. Here's another reason why, and I want to close with this, why I think God isn't always as dramatic as we want him to be. And it's this, that Christianity is to be by faith and not by sight. By faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. You know, there was a, a point after the resurrection, that Jesus talks to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, you've seen and now you believe, but blessed are those, and he's talking about those in the future who have not seen and yet they will believe. And he's talking about us. Because our faith is, you know, our belief is by faith, not by sight. You know, the Pharisees, the, the, the group of people that were so 
hypocritical and just religious, but really didn't know Jesus. They were always chasing after Jesus, saying, show us a sign, do something dramatic. I mean, almost like he was a circus monkey. They're just following him around, wanting him to do something dramatic. And you know what Jesus said to them one time? He said, a wicked and adulterous people crave a sign. In fact, the only sign that you're going to see, he said, will be the sign of Jonah. Because like Jonah, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days. And by faith, I'm going to rise again. And if you don't believe it, you're not worthy to be one of my followers. You know, maybe, maybe you're here today. And maybe it's your first time, or maybe you've been coming for a while but you've not yet become a follower of Jesus. And maybe you've been waiting for God to do something dramatic in your life. Maybe you've been waiting for some electric shiver or some overwhelming conviction that just, you know, forces you into tears. Sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes. But maybe God does dramatic things in undramatic ways. And you come for a time, and you learn a little bit more, and you ask a few questions, and you get closer, and you get closer, and then one day, just like Jesus said 2,000 years ago, by faith you say, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. I believe that he, he died for my sin. He went to a cross and he rose again. And by faith, I'm going to respond. Then over time, God does a miracle and he changes your life. It's my guess that there are miracles happening all around us. Right here and right now and over this next month of December. My challenge to all of us is to open your eyes a little bit. Open your ears and really hear the beautiful, miraculous sounds of Christmas. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for all the miracles associated with this time of the year. Thank you for your great sovereign plan. Truthfully, it all of it makes little sense to us. We would have done it so differently. It shows us that your ways really aren't our ways. But thank you, God, for your perfect sovereign plan. And God, I believe that according to your plan, there are people here today who are ready to come home. They're not here by mistake or accident. Father, they're ready 